Morning, everyone. It's good to be back here with you all at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Uh, again, my name is Brian Fowler. Uh, I'm a minister in the PCA. Uh, I, my family and I attend Resurrection Community Church, which is uh, the PCA church plant in Red Mill, and I serve as a corporate chaplain uh, for AGI just down the road. Uh, I am going to be speaking today uh, to you all from Exodus chapter Three. I like to do a lot of stuff about faith and work and in what ways does God speak to our work, our lives, our vocation. Uh, and, and today I wanted to really get to the heart of that here at Exodus chapter 3. Now we probably, a lot of us are familiar with the book of Exodus, probably Exodus chapter 3, one of the most significant passages in the Bible. Uh, but just to orient us to where we're at as we jump in uh, right here in the middle of Exodus chapter 3, uh, God has been working through this family, the Israelites, uh, that he gave covenant promises to Abraham, uh, that went to Isaac and to Jacob, uh, and then Joseph and their family ends up in Egypt. Uh, several hundred years pass, and they're in Egypt, and, and there is this child who's born, Moses. And Moses is a unique figure in the book of Exodus in the Bible, because not only is he born as an Israelite, but he also is adopted as a son of Pharaoh. And that's what happens in chapter 1 and 2, that Moses, as the son of the adopted son of Pharaoh, uh, realizes his true ties and his true allegiances lie to his family Israel. Uh, so he rises up, uh, he strikes out as he kills a guard who's uh, harassing an Israelite, and he runs away into the wilderness. And that's chapter 2. Uh, Moses ends up, as we pick up here in chapter 3, in the wilderness, married to a tribal leader, the priest of Midian. And he has a new job now. He's now shepherding the flocks of the Midianites. So he's totally integrated, has, has left behind this life in Egypt, and has now come to Midian, come to the wilderness, and is living here in a new place with a new life and a new vocation. And for Moses and for many of us, that would be good enough, except for God has other plans as we open up to Exodus chapter 3 today. Uh, read with me from God's word, Exodus 3, beginning of verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, for, uh, do not come near. take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, uh, I, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I, will sure, I, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, 
to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the people of uh, Israel has come to me, and I have seen uh, the, the oppression with which, they are, with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is the people, uh, th- this is, uh, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent uh, me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I shall be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of the people of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of the Father, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, "I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey." And they listen, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to to meet with you. Now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of, of Egypt will not let you go unless he is compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the and strike Egypt with wonders that I will do in it. After that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in in her house for silver and gold jewelry for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. As we remember the call of Moses, the revelation of your divine name, we ask that you would impress upon us who you are, what you're doing in our lives, what it means to follow you, to know you, and to worship you, to worship you in our work and in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So last Sunday was Easter, which for many of us is a Sunday of great traditions, uh, probably for most of us, eating ham last Sunday uh, fell on the Master's Weekend, which it does from time to time, and, and that is another tradition uh, that happens around Easter time. Uh, Master's, in fact, is presented to us as a tradition like no other. Uh, but this year's Master's was a little bit different than other years. I mean, we say that every year, right? You know, it's the same golf tournament, but it's always a little bit different. And what was different this year is the news coverage about the whole tournament. Uh, because by the end of the day, Saturday, uh, and going into Sunday, there was a leader in the Masters who was on a new tour. Uh, now, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with golf, but the PGA has run golf 
forever. And now there is this new tour called the Live Tour. Uh, you know, we all have our opinions about it. I have my opinions about it. I'll talk to you about it later after the service. Uh, but there is the Live Tour. And Brooks Kapka was leading as he went into Sunday. And he signed, he, he left the PGA and, and became part of this Live Tour. And it was, it, it was really discomforting to, to many of us watching golf as we're thinking all of the things that we've known, that we've loved about golf, all these traditions that have been set, all of these, you know, ways of doing golf and playing sport, you know, whether we pull the pin out as we're, as we're putting on the green, you know, all of these things are being blown up right here in one weekend as, as, as live golf, as this new tour is coming onto the scene. But what that really exposes us is something that we see here in Exodus chapter 3. This reality that, that we all like to live with our, with, with our, to our desires. That we all like to live into our traditions, as, as Ken has even just said in the Confession of Sin, that we have affections, that we have things that we're drawn to, that we're attracted to. And we kind of like those things, right? We like those things to be the, the way they are, whether it's our, our morning routines of drinking coffee, whether it's our bedtime routines, or just how we organize our day, that we have these routines, we have these ways of being. And the question for us as we come to Exodus chapter 3 is, okay, so, so what happens to these routines? What is the reality of these routines and these traditions and these things that we hold so dearly to when God becomes present? In what ways does he change the things that we hold so dear? In what ways does he affect, does his presence change our relationship? with all of these things that we love, all these routines that we have, all of these things that we find our center in. And what we see in Exodus chapter 3 is that God's presence actually changes our desires. That by his grace, he transforms our desires. That when he shows up, that these routines, that these traditions, that these things that we serve, they must be changed. And what we see today, what we want to look at today is how does this reality of God's transforming presence, of his transforming grace, how does this interact with how we work and how we worship? And this is right at the center of the text. We, we want to look at this in three ways today. We want to see the problem of our work. We want to see the redemption of our work. And finally, we want to see our work as worship to this God. First the problem of our work. As we have already said, as we begin Exodus chapter 3, Moses, who was an Israelite, who was the adopted son of the Pharaoh, who, who realized his connection to these people, these people that God had been working with, if you're following the story of the Bible, that, that Genesis is, you know, after chapter 12 becomes all about this family and all about this God who gave promises to this family. And Moses realizes that. Moses realizes God's presence, his power, God's grace, his love, and his covenant promises. But as Moses and, and as many of us, as he strikes out in Egypt, he really abandons that whole life. He says, you know what? I'm just going to make a new name for myself in Midian. I'm going to serve this community. I'm going to be their shepherd. He marries into the family, marries the tribal leader and the priest. And he begins to serve and, and find a new life and a new way of living for himself 
that is outside of this family, that's outside of where they're at and where God is moving. But as we come to Exodus chapter 3, we see that God shows up. But what we see with Moses is that Moses is oftentimes like you and I are. That Moses, as, as he lives his life in this world, that he lives his life with a sense of complacency. That he does what's easy, what's comfortable, what, what is, seems right in that moment. That, that as Moses has challenges, as he, as he understands his position, given this leadership, being the son of the Pharaoh in Egypt, and as he has challenges interacting with that, he just goes and says, you know what, I'm just going to do what's easy. I'm in the wilderness, and I'm just going to make a new life and a new reputation for myself. And that's the challenge we come to at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, that Moses says, you know what, all of these things that God has been doing in the book of Genesis, I'm just going to cash that in, and I'm just going to live for myself. I'm going to be complacent in my life, and what I do, how I live. And I think you and I are like that sometimes. You know, we look at the book of uh, Kings, and we see Rehoboam, when he rises up to power, the son of Solomon, and he's, and he's given advice on how is he going to rule this people, and he turns to two different advisors. He turns to the older advisors, and they say, hey, your dad was kind of hard on him. Be a little bit easier. And he turns to the younger guys, his friends, and they say, hey, you know what? Your dad was hard on him. Be harder. Then they'll know you're, you know, you're a strong man. What does he do? He, he turns to the advice of his friends. And you and I, we oftentimes like to live in our echo chambers, like Rehoboam, like Moses, and just do what seems to work, what's easy, what's best for us. And that's where Moses is as we come to the beginning of Exodus chapter 3. He's in a place where he's kind of wondering, how do I really interact with this God? How do I live for him? How do I live in his world? How do I have a relationship with him? And it's this complacency that he lives in that oftentimes we fall into ourselves. There was a, a writer, Leland Riken, uh, who said uh, about thir- uh, uh, t- three decades ago in, in one of his books, he said, earlier in this century, someone claimed that we work at our play and we play at our work, but today the, conf- uh, the confusion has deepened. He says, we worship at our work, we work at our play, and we play in our worship. You see, this is a challenge that we all face. Do we know God's place, his presence, his purpose in our work, in our worship, in our play, in our lives? Or do we just simply interact with these things on our own basis? And get everything, you know, really confused, everything a bit mucked up. Is that how we live? Is that, is that how we live our lives before this God? That's how Moses does. But what we see happens in the chapter, what happens with you and I, is that God shows up. And his presence changes all of this. It changes this whole reality. That as God comes into the picture, as God appears to Moses here in this burning bush, that he says, Moses, while you might want to live for yourself, there's a reality. I've called you to be a leader of this people. I've called you. I'm going to raise you up to lead this people, not to shepherd these sheep in Midian, but to shepherd my people out of Egypt. And that's what we begin to see, that as, as God's presence comes on and into the center of the story, as God appears to Moses in this burning bush, that the reality, the context for his work, for his life, for his vocation, it all changes. As Moses begins to see that he cannot be the same in relationship to this God. 
God appears to Moses and he says to him at the beginning that he has a message for him and for Israel, that he has not forgotten them, even though they've often forgotten God. And the same is true for us. That's not just a message in Exodus chapter 3, but that's a reality that each of us can embrace. That that in our lives, sometimes we forget God, but guess what? God hasn't forgotten. You hear those words that he says in in verse 5, he says, Look, I have heard my people. I've heard their cry. I haven't forgotten them. I still remember what's going on. I still, even though it's been years and years, I know what's happening and I'm here. And God begins to move, and he reminds Moses of his presence throughout the ages. He says, Moses, remember, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God who you guys have been talking about, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he says, that God, that God who you talked about in your stories, I have come down. I'm here. Not only have I not forgotten you, but I'm actually present with you. And he begins to reveal himself to Moses, and Moses asks this most interesting, most particular question at this moment. He says, okay, so you're the God who we've been talking about, the God who's made these promises, but God, what is your name? Who am I going to, when I show, you know, Israel, think about it. Israel is there in Egypt. There's a lot of gods that are in the area. He says, but which God are you? To which God responds back to Moses with one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Exodus 3, verse 14. He says, I am who I am. This in Hebrew is yod Hey wow Hey." Quote in Hebrew up here, right? But it's, it's important because those letters become the letters for, for what the name of Yahweh is. yod Hey wow Hey," And that's what Israel will call this God that when we read our Bibles, and as even we jump down a couple of verses later, and even at the beginning of the passage when it says, the Lord revealed himself to Moses, when we see those words, the capital L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh. It's the divine name. It's what the Hebrews called the tetragrammaton, the four letters, that this is, this is who God is, but what does that communicate to us? Well, it communicates two things to us. That God is, is he, he, it's, it's what we call the aseity of God. He's not defined by anything else. God doesn't say, well, you know, Moses, I'm kind of like a person. You know, Moses, I'm kind of like, as, as you think about some of the gods the area served, well, I got a head like a cow and a body like a horse, you know. No, he's not like that. Because there's nothing in creation I can point out to and say, you know, I'm kind of like that thing. God is distinct. God is unique. God is separate. There is nothing in creation that he says, I'm kind of like that. I am who I am. That's who God is. But not only is God the one who is separate, God's the one who is relational. Because in what context does he say that this name is to be given? He says, no, this is the name of the God who continued to reveal himself. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. This is the God who is working in the world. This is the God who created us. This is the God who knows, this is the God who loves us. God who enters into relationship with us. He says, I'm both of those things. I'm the separate God, but I'm the God who's present. I'm the God who is, in a certain sense, unknowable, but I'm the God who's very known. This is who God is to us. This is what he communicates to us. And as, as we kind of 
jump out of that point, we get back to, to what we're talking about here this morning in, in God's revelation to us of showing us who he is, we see that he begins to center on, okay, so what does it mean that this God comes into our lives? How does that change our relationships with our vocation? How does that change our relationship with, as we think of vocation in the broadest sense, our calling in this world? How does this God and his presence, this God and him showing up, how does that change us and change our relationship? And God says in verse 10, he says, I will send you, that is Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We see from Moses that although he once was the shepherd of the people of Midian, that God says, you're no longer going to be that. You're going to shepherd my people. You're going to lead them out of slavery. I'm going to raise you up as a leader, Moses. I'm going to raise you up to deliver this people. And what we see in Moses' life in a small way, in our own lives, that that this God, as he comes into relationship with us, he calls us differently. He calls us in a different way that even for Moses, for the people of Israel, he says, look, I'm going to raise you up to lead this people to redeem them. But to be in relationship with God means to be redeemed, means to be saved, means to be changed by him, changed in his presence. It's true for Moses, it's true for us. I was thinking of this story of Moses this week, um, brought to my mind uh, the story of John Newton. Some of you may um, know his name, be familiar with him. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, but uh, something we often, you know, unless you've studied his life, you don't know. John Newton, actually, he was first a slave trader and a ship captain before he became a pastor and a a songwriter. Uh, John Newton, his dad was also a slave trader uh, and a ship captain, and, and as he was growing up, uh, at a very early age, about the age of 10 to 13, uh, he started uh, having jobs out on ships. Uh, then he began to progress up through the ranks to becoming a captain himself. And it was when he was a captain of a ship, and he was in England going along the slave trade, and they were you know, somewhere uh, there in the Atlantic Ocean, and this big storm hit the boat. Uh, and, you know, this is not some sort of cruise liner today that we might see pulling out of Norfolk. I mean, you know, this is this is a smaller boat made out of wood. And this storm is coming and water's coming in. He steps out onto the boat and he thinks his mind, he writes it down in his journal later on, but he thinks in his mind, maybe says the words audibly, he says, you know, we're all going to die unless God has mercy on our souls. And he goes back into his cabin. They survive the night. He begins to be troubled by that. He says, why in the world would God have mercy on my soul? Because as many 17th, uh, uh, 18th century uh, Englanders, he grew up and he, you know, he knew the church, but he had rejected this God. And he realized that even though he had rejected this God, this God still had mercy on him. And that began to be this process for him to understand who this God was and what it meant to be in relationship with him. And as you can imagine, as we know, he, he, you know, the hymn Amazing Grace, he didn't stay as a slave trader. He left, he became a pastor, he became a hymn writer, but his most significant contribution was that at the end of his life, he was the pastor to William Wilberforce, who was in the English Parliament. And it was William Force who, with his relationship with Newton, he would encourage every day to go in and fight the fight 
to end slavery in England 50 years before it was ended in the United States. But what we see in, in, in Newton's life and what we see in Moses' life and what we can relate to in our lives is that when God shows up and he shows us his redeeming grace and his love, that it must change us. That the, the way that we have interacted with our job, the way that we interact with our coworkers, with our children, the way we live our vocations in the world, that because of God's presence, because of his grace, that it must change us. That, that as you think about yourself, as, as you live your life as, as a, a parent or a teacher, as you live your life as a worker, serving your customers or your clients, that, that there is something that must be unique and distinct about who we are because of this relationship with this God. That as we interact in this world, because of this God, because of his presence, that everything belongs to him. Not just our worship on Sunday, but our lives on Monday through Friday. That all of these things belong to this God, and all of these things must be changed because of his presence, because of his purpose, because of his place in our lives. And, and that's exactly where we get to at the end of this text. That exactly, in fact, becomes the central question of the rest of the book of Exodus. What does it mean to live in relationship with God? How does this God change us? Or we could put it another way, do we serve God with our work? Do we worship him with all life? That, that is really the central question of the book of Exodus because in verse 12, God says to Moses, he says, how do I know these things are going to happen? God says, I'm going to give you a sign, Moses. Here's what you're going to do. He says, um, I have come to this people, to the people of Israel, oh, sorry, that's verse 3, uh, but I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The mountain he's speaking of is Mount Sinai. It said that he went uh, to the wilderness of Horeb, uh, to the mountain of God. Um, that is, in fact, the mountain of Sinai. Uh, that, that God says, Moses, here's the sign. You're going to serve me. You're going you're to bring the people to Sinai. That's where the law is given. But what actually is more significant in this is, is this one word, this one thing that, that God says there. He says, this is the sign to you that you shall serve God on this mountain. That's the sign, that you shall serve God. And that's a Hebrew word, avodah. It's, it's a word that comes up about 250 plus times in the Old Testament. A very common word, but a word that brings a lot of significance. Because this word avodah, that it's, it's used to mean work, it's used to mean service, it's also used to mean worship. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 when God created humanity and he created Adam. He said, you're going to work Adam, you're going to avodah the land. Also, in Exodus chapter 20, he says in, in the fourth commandment, six days you shall avodah, you shall work and labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. But then in Numbers chapter 3, when God is talking to the Levites and he's telling them what they're going to do with the tabernacle and what it means to, to worship this God, he says the Levites are going to avodah, they're going to work, they're going to serve in fact, we have it translated in our Bibles, they're going to minister at the temple. 
And this word really kind of reaches in both of these directions and makes this connection for us. It's really the central connection of the book of Exodus, the connection of Exodus chapter 3. That God is saying to Moses, he's saying to us, he's saying to, to Israel, he's saying, look, there's this reality. You're either Israel, you're going to serve God, you're going to work, serve, worship him. Or you're going to work, serve, worship anything else. You're going to work, serve, worship Pharaoh. This becomes the tension that he's laying out. Because if you think about as the story progresses, what does God say? He says, look, let my people go so they can worship me, so they can serve me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do that. And God says, no, let my people go so they can worship me. And, and Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he comes back to that reality. And he says, remember, Israel, they were baptized in the wilderness when they walked through the Red Sea. Because what happened to them? On one side, they were servants to Pharaoh. On the other side, they were servants to Yahweh. Their identity changed. Their relationship to this God changed. They took on his service. They became citizens of his kingdom. They became in their lives, everything that was about them was, was structured by this. They were redeemed by him. As they were made anew by him. As God freed them out of slavery in Egypt. And, and that's exactly what Exodus is about. It's about this God who redeems us, who frees us to live before him to live in relationship to him, to live in a relationship that's not just relegated to certain parts of our lives, but to every aspect of our lives. That this God calls us to be totally and completely in relationship. He says, look, I, I don't just want a part of you, I want all of you. I don't just want some of your service. I'm not freeing you so that you can you know, only give me that seventh day. No, I want every single thing about you. I want to be in relationship with you, and I want you to be in relationship with me always. And what we see in closing is that this relationship only can happen because of the grace of this God. Because it's he who moves, it's he who comes, it's he who reveals himself to us, the God who is distant, the God who is other. But he comes into our world, he comes into our lives, And he brings us into this relationship. As he did for Israel in the book of Exodus, that he frees them out of slavery in Egypt. So for us, as we just celebrated this past week through Jesus Christ, he frees us and renews us and delivers us to live in relationship with him. And in relationship with him, he calls us to serve him with all of our lives so that our work and our worship are really more connected than we realize. Because as we serve this God in all of our lives, we worship him in all of our lives. Because he first gave himself to us. Because he so loved us that he redeems us. And now all that we do is lived into that relationship. Lived out of worship for this God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we have come to your word today, as we have seen your grace your presence, your power, your redeeming love for us, 
that you would change us, that we might know you, that we might serve you, that we might worship you in all of our lives. Heavenly Father, may you be at work in us this day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.